Well, we are starting a new series today, looking at the book of Titus, three weeks in Titus. Uh, what we will be doing is spending a bit of time in Titus, then on the 1st of October, we still got that hum. That's all right. Uh, on the 1st of October, uh, Roger comes back from the International Comedy Festival in Montreal and he will be uh, speaking for us, preaching. Uh, and then in term four, we'll be diving into the Gospel of Mark uh, in preparation for welcoming Quizworks and the puppets. <coughs> Let's pray before we look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true and that it speaks to us of truth and error, of good and evil. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be with us as we open your word. Help us to know it well. Help us to understand it. And then help us to order our lives by your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there were problems at one of the company's branches. There was conflict between staff, stock was disappearing, and customers were complaining about poor service. And so the CEO of the company sent in his troubleshooter the manager who specialises in dealing with dysfunctional branches. He was tough, he was experienced, and he was carrying the CEO's authority. And he comes in to sort things out. Some staff are quietly moved on. A new inventory system was installed to minimise stock losses. And new leaders are trained for the branch. In a year, the branch is operating properly again, and the troubleshooter has done his job. And he moves on. In today's passage in Titus chapter 1, we meet another troubleshooter. His name is Titus. He has a, a more complex job, and that is to sort out a, a church. And he does so in the midst of great danger for that church. And in one sense, what we read today is his briefing, his instructions letter from the Apostle Paul. For the Apostle Paul writes to him about his mission and gives him detailed instructions about the mission. So let's go to the passage and find out what it meant to be a troubleshooter in the ancient island of Crete and what it means for us today. Have a look at verse 5 again. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished. Those are the programmatic words of the Apostle Paul at the, not quite the start of the letter, but the start of the substantial part of the letter, if I can put it that way. He says, the task of setting up the church in, in Crete is only partly done. There is unfinished business. And Titus is like a, a master builder who's called in to finish a building that's only half completed because the previous builder went bust. That would never happen in Australia, would it? It does happen all the time, doesn't it? And that's a tough job. It's a really tough job to do that. 
Because you got someone else's plans, and you go, how did the, oh, what? And that's the kind of thing that Titus is doing, except he's not going, oh, well, the roof and the walls are here, but oh, this, the windows are missing, and, and, and the electrics are not. No, he's not doing that kind of building work. He's doing the building work of building a church. It's unfinished business, a church that is not yet properly established. It may have been a kind of a church plant, but as we read, it's a church plant where things have gone wrong. And Titus is sent in to sort things out so it can be properly established and where things will then go right. And there's a danger out there lurking if he doesn't get it right. Have a look at verse 10. <coughs> For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. The church in Crete faced the danger of false teaching. In particular, what they're, they're dealing with is the circumcision group, or the Judaizers. Uh, and that's the group that in, in particular that Paul is worried about in this letter. And what these people are, are people who say that you need to keep the law of Moses to be a Christian. That is, that it's not enough to trust in Jesus to be saved. You also have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And it's a serious danger to the gospel of Jesus because it attacks the path of salvation. Uh, to put it simply, what these teachers are teaching is that Jesus' death on the cross is not enough. And trusting in Jesus is not enough. You also have to do these other religious works over here. And by adding to the gospel, they actually destroy the gospel of Jesus. Because you end up not trusting alone in what Jesus has done for you, you actually end up trusting in what you're doing, all those works. As we know from what we read in earlier in the, in the service in Ephesians 2, that's not how we're saved, not by works, lest no one can boast. If you want to think of it visually, think of it like a poison that contaminates pure drinking water. The gospel is like pure drinking water, water that gives life when it is drunk but only when it's pure when you add the poison into it the water only brings death not life and it's that with the gospel of Jesus once you add to it it no longer works and that leaves you with death and judgment and that's why Paul is so scathing about these false teachers throughout this passage he doesn't hold back here. He calls them mere talkers and deceivers in verse 10. Uh, and they're ruining whole households in verse 11. And if you think that's tough talk, look at verse 16 where he says, They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. I get the impression that Paul is not going to write them a reference 
It is hard words here from the Apostle Paul. And his message to Titus is clear. These men are dangerous. And so there has to be a plan to deal with them. And the good news is there is. Have a look back at chapter uh, verse 5. He says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The first part of the plan is to appoint leaders to the congregations on the ancient island of Crete. Elders, which you see there in verse 6, uh, verse 5, um, elders are presbyteroi in the Greek, or presbyter, and they're mentioned here, and also overseers, or episkopos, are mentioned in verse 7. Now, the two terms here are probably interchangeable. Although the term episkopos is where we get episcopal from, or bishops, they probably didn't have this function here yet. After all, the function that Titus is carrying out is the function of what we would call a bishop. That is, he's overseeing all the congregations on the island of Crete. Okay? So what we have here is appointment of leaders of churches in Crete. And at one level, this may sound like really quite boring. It's a kind of administrative housekeeping that is not the kind of thing that's going to keep you up and going at night. But it's actually vital to the health and actual survival of the church on Crete. For it is the leaders of the church that set the tone for the rest of the church. They will lead people one way or the other. They can lead people away from God like Manasseh did in our first reading. Or they can lead people to God and to the truth of Jesus. And friends, let me say, it's much the same today. If you want to change a church, then the way to change it is to change the minister and the lay leaders of that church. For in time, through their teaching, it will change. Uh, if you want to change a denomination, an association of churches, then the easiest way to do that is to change the college that trains the ministers. And in time, this will change the ministers who will lead the churches in a new direction. If you change the leaders, you change the church. And in recent times, this has happened in Australia uh, to both Uniting Church and the Presbyterian Church of Australia. They've changed the leaders and they've gone in a different direction. And interestingly enough, in two different directions. Leaders are critical to the church. In our church, the key leaders are those with a teaching ministry. Obviously, the preacher up the front, but also connect group leaders are key people because they teach. How they live and what they teach is critical to the well-being of our church. And that is why the quality of the leaders is the next subject that Paul speaks about. Have a look at verse 6. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe, 
and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. So these verses show the high quality that is required for Christian leadership. And this is, in one sense, a list of character traits that you would look at and say, well, isn't that what you would expect of anyone who is a godly Christian? And the answer is, yes, it is. But what they're saying is the person ought to be generally godly. Now, the wrong thing to think about is, are they going to live like this all the time perfectly? And if you expect that of any Christian leader, you will be bound to be disappointed. Because they say the confession at the start of church, just like you do. They are saved sinners, just like you are. So we need to be careful that we don't expect perfection, but at the same time we should expect you know, a general level of godliness a level of Christ-likeness. A similar character trait can be found in 1 Timothy, where another list is there of what it is character traits for Christian leaders. These things are important. It's important that Christian leaders are godly. But another key attribute is added in verse 9. Have a look at that with me. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Notice there the emphasis on sound doctrine and how vital that is in Paul's view for the ancient leaders of the church on Crete. They must believe the truth about Jesus and stick to the truth about Jesus. And this is vitally important if they are to safeguard their congregations from the false teaching of the circumcision group, which we read about earlier. <coughs> they do this by teaching the truth and refuting the error or correcting the error. You might notice at the start of verse 10, it starts with the word for. And that tells us that leaders with right and good doctrine are the first step in dealing with false teachers. This is step one in dealing with the danger of the false teaching on the island of Crete. And friends, it shows us the importance of good doctrine in our church and in our colleges. We are really blessed here in New South Wales to have a number of really good Bible colleges that teach people the truth of Jesus who then teach um, as leaders in God's church. Uh, <clears throat> colleges like Moore Theological College, uh, SMBC and St Mark's National Theological Centre, uh, as well as Ridley down in Victoria, are faithful to God's word 
And that is a huge blessing. And it's not the case everywhere. We are greatly blessed. So let us pray that those colleges stay true to God's word. They stay faithful to the message. And that the ministers stay faithful even once they leave those colleges and go into churches. It's not something that we ought to take for granted. But we ought to pray regularly for our Christian leaders that they would remain faithful to the truth about Jesus. And that they would not drift off into some error, requiring people to do something else other than trust in Jesus for salvation. And, of course, if you see a church leader drifting off into error, then you might need to do step two in dealing with false teaching, which you can see in verse 13. <coughs> this saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. Titus is charged here with rebuking or correcting the false teachers. That is, telling them where they have gone wrong. And you might notice as you look at that passage there that the motive for doing so is not about putting them down or winning debates, but actually about love for them. It's actually to bring them to be sound in the faith. That is, the aim of the rebuke is the salvation of the false teachers. That they would return to trusting in Jesus and teaching their trust in Jesus. So Paul charges Titus to actively engage and persuade the false teachers of the true message of Jesus. And friends, let me encourage you, as God's people, to not keep quiet if you notice false teaching. Not all of us would feel confident to go and talk to them about it, and that's cool. But we can all talk to God about it and ask that God would help them to see their error. That is, the first thing is we should be praying. Praying that God would show them the truth of Jesus again and they would believe and give away that false teaching, that thing that they've added to the gospel. Friends, if we really care about them, then we will start praying for them because we will be concerned about their eternal destiny. Now, friends, today we've been looking at the briefing, the mission briefing for Titus, our troubleshooter on the island of Crete. And it's very much mission possible. He is to complete the task of building the church in Crete. He is to appoint quality leaders who hold to sound doctrine and gently rebuke the false teachers so that they may be saved. And together this will help the church escape the danger of false teaching. And friends, for us, this reveals two things that we should value about our church here at St Nick's. For good leadership matters. Leadership where people live in a generally godly fashion and who 
hold unswervingly to good Anglican doctrine matters. We ought to be valuing that. And the other thing that we ought to value <coughs> is that other people who support them and encourage them. Let's pray, friends, that we will continue to have good leadership in our parish and good doctrine. That is, the truth of Jesus is upheld and we only teach faith in Jesus alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have saved us through faith in Jesus. We thank you that you have saved us not by our works, but by what Christ has done and then by giving us faith in the Lord Jesus. We pray, Heavenly Father, and thank you for the leaders of our parish that faithfully teach that week in, week out, be it in preaching or in leading of connect groups. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would continue to cause this to happen. May we stay faithful to your word and may we stay faithful to the truth of Jesus. And we ask that you would help us to value and appreciate this and love our leaders who faithfully teach and lead us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.